Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Greetings, this is Anoa of The Way with Anoa, one of the members of the podcast Revolution. We are part of the Media Revolt family, bringing you hard-hitting, independent, progressive news coverage and more. You know, gotta throw in a little pop culture, social commentary, and politics is, you know, mixing it all up, some sports every once in a while. But um, but we're we're here for you. So please like, subscribe, share our content, um, and help us help us grow and help us continue to create good programming and in great quality. Thanks. Good morning, and welcome to this Wednesday morning edition of the Way with Fanoa. I am joined patiently and awesomely by Dr. Trisha Callender, political strategist and president of Spanner Strategies, a political consultant organization. Um, and we're here to talk with you a little bit more about some post-debate recaps, thoughts, suggestions, ideas, um, and just really dissecting what has happened over the past uh, 48 hours or so in, in, in the general election and um, the first presidential de- debate of the general election cycle. Um, how are you doing this morning, Trisha? And thank you for being so patient with me today. No problem, and no, I'm doing well this morning. I'm still trying to digest everything that has happened in the last 48 hours, not just the debate, but all of the commentary and the fallout yes. and what's happened in the polls since. Yes, definitely, and I, I, I'm so grateful that you, you wanted to do this. This is this is just, I mean, your insight into when we talked before about the, the, the convention, um, you know, kind of just having that inside look at, you know, the mechanics and some of the, the, the missteps you know, from a different perspective, from, you know, someone who is actually experienced as a political strategist. That was really great, I think, in our last conversation. So I'm definitely interested in getting into this conversation today. Um, like you said, not just with the debate itself, which had many missteps and issues, but also with the commentary leading up to the the, the, the refusal to, to fact check. I mean, it's been so many issues and, it, and it's, it's rather depressing in, in some ways. Yeah, I think... Um... I don't think that the needle moved at all, mm-hmm. uh, and, and generally they don't with debates. There's nothing particularly unusual about that. What happens is the base hears what they want to hear, and what is um, intended is to solidify the base, but going to the middle just enough where people who are undecided or independent or frightened by, quote-unquote, the other guy, might be inspired to take a better look at the candidate. A debate in and of itself would not make a person get up and be motivated to go to the polls. So in that respect, I think Hillary Clinton did her job. There Mm -hmm. had been a lot of questions about her health, uh, to use Donald Trump's word, her stamina. And there had been a lot of negative press surrounding her because of what's happening with uh, with the FBI investigation that seems to take on new shifts and shapes every four minutes. I mean, as we speak, um, FBI Director James Comey is on Capitol Hill for a second day in a row. 
of testimony for some other aspect of this email scandal that seemed to never end. Yeah. So I think people were tuning in to see how she would do under that pressure. And then obviously Donald Trump is at this point, the best showman that we have in America <laughs> he knows how to work the camera. Right. <laughs> he knows how to work the camera and and uh, to gin up interest. But what was very clear to me, just generally, and we can get into the specifics as we move on. Uh, but what was clear to me initially was that um, he really, not that he wasn't prepared. I mean, I think that's obvious to anybody who watched it for even thirty seconds but that he communicates ideas very poorly. Yes. And I'll tell you what I mean. Um, for example, when he was talking about the birther situation, which he had to have known that was going to come up. It was very recent, and it's a large part of the reason why he's had such trouble with African-American voters, um, among other things. But right. that is first and foremost in everybody's mind. It is a signpost for extreme racism and not really being a quote-unquote real American. We had to know that this question was coming. And what I was surprised about was that he was unable to clearly articulate the the position that Sidney Blumenthal and um, I forget who was, Mark Penn, the um, Democrat strategist, mm-hmm. were the ones that initiated this entire this entire right. um, birther conversation. Now, I'm not saying it came from Clinton herself, but it was people in the constellation and the orbit of the Clinton campaign in 2008 that this was the genesis for the birther conversation. And then, obviously, the right ran with it, and it took on a, a life of its own. So, uh, you know, he brought it to its full gestation. But he was unable to articulate that. He started rambling. He's very defensive. He started rambling about it, and then he said something to the effect of, well, your people uh, put out that picture, and we all know what picture we're talking about with Obama in garb. Now, this is a critical mistake, and this is actually a sign of somebody who talks to their own people too much. Mm, right. He's assuming that everybody knows what he's talking about. They don't, because not everybody is following this as closely as people like you and I are. Right, and people exactly. have their things to do. So when he's speaking like that, nobody knows what he's talking about, and the point gets lost. And moreover, he's not a linear thinker. I mean, few of us are. But we learned how to communicate in a linear way, particularly those of us who are in politics and, and, and communication. And he's not able to do that effectively on his feet. So I have spoken with people who are in and around uh, his camp, and uh, I asked what happened here. <laughs> this was, to me, at least, you know, and I'm not the average voter, but to me it just seemed like a colossal disaster, right. really kind of an epic disaster. Not that it's not correctable. I mean, Obama in 2012 had a really bad debate as well uh, for the first time when he went up against Mitt Romney. I mean, that was that was abysmal. I said, what happened here? And they said, well, he didn't really prepare, surprise. And um, he really felt that Clinton was on her heels and his people did not prepare him. They just said, go be yourself. And I don't know if he will be able to switch course. Mm. Now I'm the one rambling. But what I will say is this, that... Well, you're um, at least coherent. (laughs) (laughs) But he's got to definitely change his communication style so that Mm. it makes more sense. It's crisper and it's clearer to the average person, not his base, because his base is not moving in either of hers. But you've got over about nearly 50% of the country somewhere in the middle or not involved or disenchanted. Right. You've got very few people, relatively speaking, who are registered Democrats or who are registered Republicans. 
And so when you're talking about things as if we all know what you mean and we've had prior conversations, that's not a good strategy. And I think any point he tried to make, he came at it from the perspective of, you already know what I'm talking about. And that's where he lost the day. I think that actually, despite all of the sniffling and the bluster and the body language, I think he just didn't communicate with people who were coming into the process, the political process for the first time uh, two nights ago. I, that is that is an excellent way to start this conversation. I absolutely agree. I did notice, and I remarked to my godmother, I was like, oh, his, his approach overall was softened in comparison to how we saw during the primary, the two debates that I watched. He was awful, and he was just all over the place. So he did seem to have a bit more composure about himself, I guess, in comparison to when he was against you know the Republican field. But as you just very well pointed out, he did have you know, that, that issue with communication, he was all over the place. He did have some good zingers in there, but they, they were missed. It just looked like pettiness. It didn't look like, you know, it didn't sound like it didn't deliver as, you know, relevant factual information as it could have, you know, particularly in that instance with the birtherism, you know, and you're right. They, he should have been at least prepared for how to succinctly make that case because it's a lot of splitting hairs with that conversation in particular. Well, well, you know, it's false that they started it. Well, it's not exactly because they did raise the question of Obama's Americanness, they being the, the Clinton or like you said, members of the Clinton orbit. Um, did raise questions of his Americanness back in 2008. He did also make a comment to her about how he, he had watched uh, her debates with President Obama back in 2008, and she was awful to him. Like, mm-hmm. that's another example, I think, of that failed communication. Like, he could have gave very, you know, because she's sitting there hugging, and we've talked about this before, you know, she hugs Obama so closely, like, look, see, my friend, my friend. We've seen the email dumps now where, you know, basically... You guys don't like each other. Why they're so close? I, I I guess that's political palling around. I don't really know. But but there are just so many instances, like you were saying, where he could have made a valid point. Even when the conversation, when he was at the very beginning, when he was talking about NAFTA, and it almost seemed like she con- mm-hmm. she, she tried to say NAFTA was a good thing um, when she was responding to him. Like he definitely had her flustered at points, but he wasn't clear and he couldn't deliver a real point. So he could have scored some points with independent voters, but she did what she was supposed to do. Um, but she didn't come out looking stellar, I think, you know, as, but she definitely seemed to be, of course, prepared. She, I mean, of course she's prepared. She, she knows what she was doing. I don't know if Scott Walker is the best debate prep partner for him or not, but yeah, he didn't, he didn't seem very prepared at all. And he was all over the place. Yeah, I think there were a couple of really wide open doors that he chose not to go down. And I think his explanation, he meaning Donald Trump, that is, um, his explanation afterward of I wanted to be nice, I think there's a bit of a cop out. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the first 29 minutes of the debate, Donald Trump interrupted Hillary Clinton 26 times. Yes. And that's an astonishingly high number. So in terms of I'm really trying to be polite here, that doesn't really hold water given what I've just described. Right. But I think he's not as deeply familiar with her positions. I think his campaign is very um, me-centric. So mm-hmm. he's not really familiar with some of the weaknesses beyond the general of she's crooked, the FBI is looking at her, the, the email scandal. He doesn't understand the nuances and the granular details of why she's crooked. And I don't think he's done that kind of work. So, right. for example, 
when he talked about NASA, and he knew that she said that it was the gold standard. So he had done some debate prep. And when he said it, I knew it. It was absolutely true. I've seen the video. She had said that. But he wasn't able to expand on it any further because he didn't understand the context in which she said it, when she said it, why she said it, when she changed. All of the details around that he seemed unclear about. He seemed clear about the bullseye, but all the circles around the bullseye were completely blank. And so when she brought him back into those circles, out of the center, he was lost and literally running around in a maze. And so very strong points like the support of NAFTA, her flip-flop on TPP, um, the the Fifth Amendment that all of her people are taking. Yes. He didn't explain why. Why is that problematic? Maybe they took it for very good reason. Right. Maybe they believe they're in a witch hunt. He's not able to speak to those details. And I think moving forward, if he expects to gain any traction with voters who are not necessarily his base. There may be Republicans who are disenchanted. There may be people who don't generally vote. All kinds of things like that. All kinds of populations like that. But he's going to have to explain things better. And he and to do that, you really have to understand what you're talking about, which requires you to sit down and take your opponent seriously. And to date, I don't think he's done that. I do think maybe if there's any good part about this for the Trump campaign is that this is the first debate that mm-hmm. that they had, and and it's and he's got two more to correct course. If this had happened in the third debate, I think it would have been far more catastrophic. But it's not. It happened in the first one, and this is really he'll, his bar of of completion was so low that it really it was almost as if if he didn't stand up there and. and epithets, then we think he looks somewhat presidential. Right. The right is in a very, very high rate of spin trying to make this look like it's okay. But what has happened is he looks weak, which he never really has before. He's always been the front runner, and or at least within shooting distance. And he's still within shooting distance as far as the polls are concerned, which means people are still willing to give him a chance. But as far as looking like he's in charge and he's he got manhandled by Clinton, in my mm-hmm. opinion. But, you know, and I think there's still some room to correct that. I don't think it's it's fatal for the campaign, but no one, I think, objectively could look at that and think that he really ran away with that. No, I, I, I exactly. Um, you know, I know like it was trending Trump won on, on, on Twitter, but I think that was more people being snarky and people who are anti-Clinton than actually being pro-Trump. Because I agree. Looking at it, I mean, it was it was really sad, but I laughed a lot watching it. Not because it's really funny. It's, I, I laughed because it was so uh, disastrous in some areas in terms of, you know, these being the two that we're, 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 we're choosing from if you, you know, believe that those are the only two choices and don't consider third parties. But, um, you know, I think that overall, I think she did her demeanor was softened. You know, people talk to her a lot about, you know, people complain a lot about Clinton not being relatable. I really did feel like when she talked about her, I think she made a comment about her, she referenced her father as a small businessman and she, she said something about him basically in doing basically skilled labor work. And I thought that was a good way to connect with, you know, those folks in the Rust Belt, you know, the Rust Belt states, you know, in your Wisconsin, your Ohio, et cetera. I thought that was a good way to kind of connect with people. Like I come from where you come from, where this guy, his daddy gave him $14 million. But I don't think that she has done enough of that to make it. It's like, okay, 
you came from where we came from, but you're not there now. And you don't seem to necessarily understand where we are now. He didn't come where we come from, but he pays a lot of lip service to our struggle. He's not offering any solutions. And I think that like you were saying, like it hasn't moved the needle for anyone. When you're looking at those independents out there, when you look at the fact that she's struggling in some place like Ohio, um, where you have not just independents, but where you have Democrats considering not supporting her and supporting Trump instead. What can, I mean, I don't, I don't know what she can do in terms of outreach and commentary in the next 40, however many days we have left, but it just seems like there's something, 41. is it 41? It seems like there's something amiss with the way her campaign is interacting with the quote unquote traditional democratic base. They would, they swung right after the, after going into the convention and after the convention, trying to pick up moderate Republicans who were disenchanted with Trump. And it just seems like they've lost the ability to connect with, you know, I read a piece about how they're struggling with black voters, black and Latina voters in Florida earlier. It just seems like they're struggling to figure out. They have a lot of great talking points. She's, she definitely does. She can hit all the different areas, but it doesn't seem like that ability to actually connect with people that I'm actually going to care about your issues. It doesn't seem like it's there. And Trump is a disaster, but at least for his base, he seems to be doing a better job. Of, of corralling his base and getting them out. You know, it's interesting. I had written an article for Huffington Post you know, a couple of weeks ago called "Why the How the Heck Did We Get a, a Candidate Like Donald Trump?" Mm-hmm. And in doing the research for the for the article, I realized that despite the fact that he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, his story could also be looked at on the flip side if you're not, again, looking at it carefully, it's what pays to dig down into things. Right. He was born and raised in Queens. He lived in Jamaica State. Mm-hmm. Um, his father was a real estate agent, but his, his holdings were mainly in Queens. They were not all over Manhattan like right. he has now. So he got what he called a small loan and then built this enormous empire. There's no question compared to what his father, right. Fred Trump, had. And what he has is exponentially larger right right as his his speaking style even and his communication style on social media which is you know where where i sit as a as a consultant Mm -hmm. is extremely personable it gives the impression good bad or indifferent that the guy typing characters on twitter is him Mm -hmm. there's nothing inauthentic about his communication style that may not be good it may not be right he, he might be lying he might be lying horribly there are cases where he flip flops but he's able to connect with people because of the appearance of authenticity which is almost an oxymoron with hillary she's got a few disadvantages in this respect one is just her own personal speaking style she's not a person who connects well with people um, additionally, when you think Trump, you think he builds buildings, you know exactly what he does for a living and right. how he's made his money. Hillary Clinton, you know she's a politician, but you can't really point to anything that defines her in terms of achievement. And for people who are regular Joe and Jane, Jane Lunchpail, they really want to believe in the idea of an American meritocracy where you are rich because you actually do something and do it really well. And so I think the idea of somebody like Hillary, who is a career politician, she's known for the positions that she's held, Secretary of State, mm-hmm. two-term senator from uh, New York, and, I mean, if you could call this a position, two-time first lady, 
What she's actually done is unclear. And for people who feel like the system is rigged, who feel like America should be a country that's based in um, ability and meritocracy as opposed to nepotism and favors, she's a poster child for all of that. And she's been in the public consciousness for my entire lifetime, practically. Right, right. So that being said, it's going to be very hard to undo that in 41 days. And I think her campaign knows that. So their strategy mm-hmm. is to dig down into the base and say to the middle, I know you don't like me, but this guy is really terrible. And maybe pick off some people that way. And I think that's ultimately their strategy. What this debate lacked is one of those moments where you say, ooh, oh dear. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you um, remember in uh, 2012, of course you do, where Obama was sitting on the stool and Mitt Romney was talking about Obama not using the word terror to address the attacks. I mean, who knows which attack there have been so many. Right. And he, and he, and he, you know, he, he blamed Obama pretty much for every single one of them. And Candy Crowley um, came in and said, well, actually, he did use the word terror. But prior to that, Mitt Romney said, you know, you didn't use the word terror. You're afraid to say the word terror. This, you know, it's, or Islamic terrorism, it's, it's mm-hmm. saying that somehow, you know, makes everything better. Um, and Obama said, please proceed, Governor. Really calmly. Mm-hmm. Really measured. Yeah. Everybody heard that yeah. for the weeks and months after. It actually even crossed my mind when I was in the voting booth. Mm. No such came out of this debate. There's no line really point to, with the possible exception of, if you're accusing me of preparing for this debate, I did. I also prepared to be president. Yeah, that, line, that wasn't. Yeah, that was that, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. But here's the thing: it didn't really play with independents, and certainly didn't play with Republicans, mm-hmm. because the idea is that her entire career setting up to be president, but she still right. has not articulated why. Right. So that actually didn't work as well as it could have. But overall, I don't think the needle really moves, but it does weaken Trump and it puts him on the defense. I, I, great analysis. I agree. It, it did. He definitely has to step his game up because this is where, I mean, I, I think, like you said, making that case to people and, and also his buffoonery, like if he's too buffoonish, it makes the case to people why they, I guess, need to vote against him, right? Because we are looking at this situation. We have this election cycle, and and we, I mean, we saw it in two thousand and four with 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 John Kerry. I mean, it was as much a vote for John Kerry as it was against George Bush. But there was, it seemed like there was more balance there, right? You know, yes, there was an imperative to get a Democrat elected, but at the same time, you know, it was to get rid of George Bush. But it just it seemed like you could kind of make the case for Kerry, I guess, a little bit better. Or we we really wanted to get rid of George Bush, and the same thing coming with Obama. So we've had this, you know, we want we we want to vote against them, but we seems like we've had a little bit more to vote for in prior election cycles, um, from what mm-hmm, I can remember. Mm-hmm. Versus this time, and this time, that's all that anyone can just say is just like he's just so bad. I mean, you know. Like Pence, Pence, his, his, the VP, I've never, I don't think I've watched any of the VP debates ever. I probably will watch this one, you know, for reporting sake. Pence, Mike Pence actually does concern me. Um, Mike Pence actually concerns me a lot more than Donald Trump. I know that during his rallies, I know Donald Trump says a bunch of crazy stuff, whether he means it or not, whatever the case may be, he says it. Um, But 
the rhetoric does not necessarily concern me as much as, you know, the politics and actions of someone like Mike Pence. But in this in this debate, I do agree that overall nothing really changed. However, it was very interesting. Um, and I'll just, you know, a couple of sections like when they talked about, you know, his finances and issues with the taxes and stuff like that. It's so funny to hear have Hillary Clinton. And then th- I don't I don't think this also played well with people who oppose her. Right. Who weren't in favor of him, but who oppose her. This doesn't help to have her bashing him about his secrecy over his finances when her, you know, her transcripts, her, her speaking transcripts, um, which are tied to her finances in some ways. It's a different scenario, but it's similar. We're talking about transparency and making sure, you know, you have been fully, you know, um, you've made you've made your information fully available to the American public. So that was like kind of a weird moment for me. I'm just like, how are you dinging him on transparency when you yourself have a, a, a transparency issue on, on many fronts? Um, he could have gotten her, but he didn't. He, he was like you said, he was poorly prepared. He does not communicate very well at all. He talks in circles. Um, it, it also makes it reminds me sometimes like in cartoons when you see like how dogs think. Like dogs think in these different, you know, in the cartoons, they, they they have all these different clusters of ideas that are, some of them are not even related. And then they see like bird or something mm-hmm. like that. And then they're completely distracted. And that's kind of, <laughs> he reminds me of like a cartoon animal uh, that can't think. <laughs> like, like I've been watching a lot of TV with the kids lately, but he, he, he just seems like that some ways. And it's, it's not that I want him to do well. It's not that I want him to win, but at the same time, you know, from a purely academic standpoint, looking at it, you know, you can, you can sit there and pick out with, with her. I think that, she taught, she does a lot of double speak, you know, with the section on race, um, you know, some of her language. Yeah, I want to definitely get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get into that. Let's get into that. Like there were, there were sections where she had a lot of double speak. And if you weren't, you know, it's almost like, I I feel like I need to rewatch it with the transcript in front of me because she sound, I had to stop him like, wait a minute. Did she just say, did she mean to say that? Cause that didn't come out the way. Did she mean it to come out that way? Cause that's really bad. If she did say she it that didn't way. need to, she didn't even need to have a coherent answer on race. And she knows that. And so does her team mm-hmm. because it's a minefield for Trump. All she had to do was just not sound mean. And that's what she did. If you listen to the actual wording, it's actually mm-hmm. not that distinctly different from what Trump was proposing. They were talking about p- police brutality, and all of a sudden, it, it they started to converge in terms of policy on this topic mm-hmm. to some degree. But her tone was much different. She didn't scream law and order. You know, I mean, yeah. once you say that, there's all kinds of dog whistles that come along with that. And... Um, communities need to respect the police and they, they, yes. you know they, they weren't saying anything that different but when you know that you have a voting block in your pocket to that degree you don't have to appeal to them what you're appealing to is the middle who if you're going to have the positions that Trump has you've got to be very careful about your tone because nobody wants to look like they're being racist right right and so in her case she she pro- promotes those policies with a far kinder and far more thoughtful tone. Uh, that being said, I didn't find their answers. That was one of the few areas that I thought that they converged. Right. Um, I just thought her tone was very, very different. She sounded kinder. She sounded more thoughtful. But at the end of the day, there was not 
as much daylight as I would have liked to see right. between the two of them, but she's not appealing to us. I mean, at the end of the day, she's appealing to a white middle-class voter in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that doesn't want racial strife, but as far as unpacking uh, racism, structural racism to that degree, they don't, want to, they don't have time, they don't want to, they, it's too difficult, and it requires a lot of self-examination and, and what's the, um, the benefit for them in doing that. What they do want is a smoother uh, situation with race in this country, and I think she definitely delivered that. Right, right. I, 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 she did. It's a, it's a problematic strategy. I mean, but we saw this also with President Obama with the town hall that he did. It, it, this same conversation, this narrative, especially when we're talking about in the confines specifically of police violence and these killings, extrajudicial killings at the hands of police, we see this narrative where we somehow have to make the police feel good as a part of that conversation by saying we have to respect them. But these cases, the issue of the issue is not respect or lack thereof. Respect is not grounds for killing someone. Like it almost reminds me when we talk about this respect about you know I guess like when you when you think about like in the nineties, early nineties when you had movies like Get Boys in the Hood and Men in Society, a lot of a lot of times you had beef over people not respecting turf or respecting you know people and stuff. And this gangster mentality that you can kill someone for lack of respect should not be accepted on behalf of, you know, our law enforcement. And this conversation that if you respect police, then it's okay. If you respect police, if you listen, if you obey, even if you don't do those things, though, here's the problem. Even if you don't do those things, you're still entitled to survive, you know, alive from an encounter. Now, if there's a, there, there are, I'm not going to say there's no ground ever for deadly force to ever be used. I, I, I think that if people say that they're not being honest about the possibilities in a situation however you know these the way the conversation is framed and was framed by her last night you're 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 correct in that analysis she was very softer she did know the right words to use like she would start out fine but then she trail off into these other examples but when she started talking about communities respecting police that's where i'm like see this is what i've been saying the whole time she has a very problematic conversation and even for that conversation because we have issues where they're quote unquote routine traffic stops. Somehow they start talking about criminal justice and gun control and, 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 and they both talked about so-called black on black crime. Both of them alluded to it and mm-hmm. it, it, it was not, um, you know, it's not, it's not relevant to the, we're so ready, you know, we, as in like people who are activists and in, in, in the community are so ready to shout anyone down who does that and yet so many people will accept this like, like, see, she's so great on race and he's awful. But like you said, they're, they're saying the same thing. He just, he just does not communicate well. And he comes off as being a bully and, and very brash. And she has a very, you know, she has finesse with her answer, but, but, but especially when they got to the stop and frisk and I had, to, I did actually look at the transcript for this part when they got to stop and frisk, you know, she corrected him and he pushed back, but there's a point where she concedes that he's right about the effects in New York. And that for me was highly problematic. That was a huge red flag. And she even gave praise. She said the past two mayors or the prior two mayors, that would be Giuliani and Bloomberg. And I was floored. The past two mayors and the past two police chiefs, you know, that's Kelly and and, uh, Bratton, highly problematic. So to give praise to either regime, (laughs) 
And this conversation yeah. was, 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 was extremely, it, it was similarly bad Trump. No, she's not out there like Trump using the language he uses, but does it matter that they're not using the same language when they could be effectuating policy? I, I agree, but I even have a larger mm-hmm. issue with mm-hmm. this. And I've spoken with other people um, in the context of my work that have a problem with it. The questions about race always end up veering off into police and police brutality. Mm-hmm. There's so, and, and that is, given the situation in the country, makes perfect sense. But there are other aspects to racism that all of us deal with every day that are not necessarily in the crosshairs of law enforcement, at least that particular day or that particular hour, that are not being addressed. So it turns into a conversation of race and crime, and then the two of them are conflated. Right. And it sticks in the American psyche in such a way where it becomes easy to then veer off into other things. You can talk about gun control, you can talk about police, and you can do all of this dance around it because those are things that are happening outside. Racism is something that happens inside. And I don't want to get off in the weeds. That's a whole nother, that's another um, uh, podcast. But as far, bring it back to the debate, but as far as Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton on that particular question, and I had anticipated that there'd be a question of that kind. I didn't think that there was um, a great deal of daylight. There should have been, given the African-American support that she enjoys, there should have been as much daylight between his answer and her answer as there was between his answer and her answer when they were talking about ISIS. And there was not. Agreed. Agreed. I think you, what you just touched on about how the, 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 you said, I think it was the, the issues of race and crime become conflated and it allows for a veering of conversations. Nina Turner had a really great tweet about that um, during the debate about how she was dismayed that race was limited in that context and none of the other things that affect and address communities across the country in terms of poverty, education, you know, housing discrimination. Um, there's, there's such a long list of other issues that are affecting us at multiple intersections of our lives across the board. And it's not just along racial lines, you know, economic class as well but but none of that really entered the conversation there was talk about the middle class and bringing back jobs but that seems to be the extent of conversations we're not really talking about you know meaningful opportunities for people at the margins and 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 i i was just it's like yeah there, there are opportunities you know somebody was like well the moderator didn't ask any questions about that but she could have spent her time you know, bringing those, because she is really good about bringing in examples from stuff and making those connections. But what would the value add be? What would the value add be for her, given the goals and the target audience? None. None. So from a campaign standpoint, it was very smart. From my own personal standpoint, I would have wanted to see more daylight. But from a campaign standpoint, that base isn't going anywhere. That's not who you're appealing to. I think she did what she had to do to sound reasonable to people in the middle who otherwise she'd be painted as an Alinsky leftist. And, you know, you certainly don't want that <laughs> if you're, if you're a Democrat trying to appeal in a, to uh, general America in a general election. Um, one thing I did find odd, given that Trump's candidacy uh, was largely built on a very uh, strong anti-illegal immigration platform. Mm-hmm was that the word Latina and Latino or Latinx only appeared twice the entire 90 minutes. 
given Mm -hmm. the strength and sound and fury that he's put into being very clear about what his immigration policy would be. And he also has been very strong against accepting more Syrian refugees into the United States, and Syria wasn't addressed at all. And I think it's time for us to step back as people who do this for a living and and just generally citizens who may be listening to this and say it might be time to stop the operational paradigm of you have one journalist who gets to go hide in his basement for a week and come up with questions. And those are the questions that are addressed. I think the town hall situation will reveal a lot more. I think that favors Donald Trump because to some degree he, he does think better on his feet mm-hmm. um, with town hall. Hillary Clinton has got caught out there in every town hall situation. The very first one that I saw this um, election cycle was one where Anderson Cooper, who's very friendly to her, you know, she was, he was the first reporter that she called um, after her uh, fainting incident on 9-11, um, asked her why she would get paid this exorbitant amount of money to give speeches, the mm-hmm. contents of which we don't know anything about. And, she really didn't handle that well. And then there was the quasi-town hall with uh, Matt Lauer as the host the other day, and that was somewhat disastrous as well. So this is not her bailiwick at all, and, it, and it's something that Trump might do better. But it seems strange to me that you, you pick a reporter, he goes in his basement, he comes up with questions that may or may not represent the concerns of the questions, that the American people might have. And then we're all kind of beholden to what happens based on those questions. Right. And, you know, I don't want to pile on because everybody is excoriating Lester Holt for one thing or another. But I do think that the lack of attention paid to immigration in Syria was egregious given the importance of those issues in American political discourse. I really thought it was negligent to not mention at least one. Agreed. Um, just, I just want to go back to something you said just for one second about how, you know, captive base, right? Primarily, you know, African-American and to the lesser extent Latino voters. If if you're working, it, how do I phrase this? Just, just thinking about that, that issue of captivity, right? Because it's frustrating for, you know, decades now. We really don't have much movement on our issues because we are a captive group that is you know, seen as, you know, basically a slam dunk. It's just an issue of how much of our vote will you get? How much of us, how many of us will you get to turn out and what percentage of the vote will you get overall? Um, You know, she still, she enjoys really high favorables in terms of African-American voters, but they're not as high, you know, as, you know, Barack Obama had in 2000 or 2012. But how do we, as a voting block, um, how do, how do we renegotiate our relationship with the Democratic Party um, to actually get attention to the issues um, in a meaningful discussion? Or are we just forsaken? Um, I think you've got a situation and you've got a political system where majority rules. Mm-hmm. And I think this problem may be somewhat twofold. And I think you've heard me say this before. With other marginalized minority groups, um, whether it have to do with sexual orientation or gender, it's very clear what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, um, the marriage equality was a fantastic campaign that yielded fantastic results. And it happened in one state and then the other, and the momentum was too much, and then now it's the law of the land. Uh, I think when you talk about uh, gender rights, one of the 
first things that you think of is equal pay for equal work based on gender, um, not based on gender. With the black movement, and our situation is obviously quite different in this country given how we came here and what we've gone through and just our whole trajectory since we first came here, um, um, either as immigrants later or as as, um, as slaves, uh, I think we're not clear on what we want. Though we want our situation to be better. I think now we're at least somewhat focusing on police brutality, but what the actual policy is that we want. What, and I think when Hillary spoke to the Black Lives Matter activists, early in her primary season, and she said, what do you want? And they were not able to articulate that. It makes it really hard to then put pressure on politicians to say, I want to feel better, or Mm -hmm. I want things to improve, or this shouldn't be like this. All of that is true. But from a policy standpoint, what do you want? And I think that's a conversation we need to have Mm in-house. And as a result, we've not had that conversation meaningfully. We get angry about what's happened, rightfully so, but then it doesn't lead to, this is what we want, and if we don't get it, we're not voting for you. I I think a lot of our, our voting is based in fear. Mm-hmm. With, if other groups will withhold their vote and use it as a hostage situation to get what they want. Exactly. And that's not something that we've traditionally done. So, And again, there are lots of reasons for that, and I'm sure... Uh, more than a few of your viewers will disagree with what I just said. But from my standpoint, that's what it appears to me. We're not very clear on what kind of policy we want. We know we want this thing to stop. But what does it look like on paper? We need to have our own conversation about that and go from there. Um, I don't know how that's done. But I do know this. We have got to really hold our politicians' feet to the fire and not just show up every four years when there's a presidential election and then say the other guy is bad. There's local elections, local primaries happening all the time, and even if you do not believe in the political process um, or politicians and you think they're corrupt, there's there's all kinds of edicts and ordinances and things like that that are being passed all the time on ballots, you know, from everything from when the streetlight is on to voting yes or no on a school board. These are all kinds of things that affect your daily life. So even if you feel like you don't want to vote for president because it's a corrupt process, there are other ways to get involved that are meaningful. And I think it's probably something that we have to work on collectively. But in the context of this debate, to expect that somebody would understand what to do when we ourselves have not been crystal clear on that, I think that's too much of an ask. But I do know that... um, saying hello Mr. Officer is not going to prevent the deaths that we've seen. Agreed. Um that's that's that that's it. thank you thank you for for answering that cuz that's that's what cuz that's what what I've kind of been thinking to myself and I do agree about the lack of clarity. I do know, you know, the movement for black lives platform that came up with it it is pretty but but thorough, but there are some areas that I would, you know, there's some other areas but at the same time you cannot say that you're not um You cannot say that you're 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 not interested in electoral politics, but then say you're going to hold people accountable. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's like being tall and short at the same time. Maybe right. You have to. You're either one or the other. I mean, they're diametrically opposed. So, that being said, I I don't know um, where 
we go from there um, based on the debate. I mean, that's an entirely separate conversation. Right. But right. I think people looking at the screen, hoping to hear something from one of the candidates um, that might sound like a direction in which we need to go. I, I think that's really unfair. And I think you're asking someone else to do your homework. Mm -hmm. Someone that's not you, that does not have the same stake in it that you have. And so I, I I saw a lot of comments afterwards about the debate and how people were closely listening to hear what the policies were. And I thought, well, politicians don't generally come up with policies. They're usually forced into it right. <laughs> based on circumstances. And one of those circumstances could be we're going to withhold our vote or vote for someone else or something. And um, I, I don't think that we're ready to do that or see the efficacy of doing that. At this point, I think there's a lot of fear around Donald Trump, mm -hmm. although it's a lot less than it was before. Donald Trump is actually picking up black folks when he said, you know, what the hell do you have to lose? Your communities are in bad shape. There are people who really took offense to that. But there's a subset of people who did not. And um, he's actually picking up some support. That is, I've seen, I've seen a couple of people as of late, whether they're directly supporting him or they're just not moved by this argument that he's worse, who have reconciled themselves to the possibility that he's, and these are, these are black, black voters that I've seen who are, who are either, who either are supporting him or like I said, they're reconciled to the fact that he could be president. And so they're not phased. They don't feel like they have to vote for Hillary Clinton to, to, to help protect the country. Um, and, and it's interesting when people um, when people are just like, you know, such and such doesn't concern me because, you know, we know they're all racist anyway. You know, he just says it out loud. I'm not bothered. And and when he did say that, the only thing that caught me about, you know, Donald Trump, and he said, you know, I, I know what the African-American community needs or, or what, what do you have to lose? And what he says is absolutely true, though, in regards to our relationship with the Democratic Party. Now, whether or not he's actually offering anything as a viable alternative is a whole nother conversation. But 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 the fall outrage over that statement itself is I don't know. I mean, it's it's it, there is some truth to it. We just finished talking about, you know, we are essentially but there there are those of us who either abstain from the process entirely or do support, you know, third party candidates. But for the most part, I mean, African-Americans overwhelmingly vote Democrat and have been doing so for the last 50 some odd years. Um, and, and so and what's the yield on that yeah. um, locally, um, statewide and, and nationally? And I think those three things are quite different. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to take a, a real step back and look at that and say, what has this yielded and what would be yielded if we did X, Y or Z? Yeah. I think that's that would be a good. But I don't know how how realistic it is given this kind of you know firebomb of a candidate on the right. You know, I mean, he definitely he galvanizes people both right and left mm -hmm. um, in in ways that I've not seen before. Um, but on the other hand, we you know it. I saw the race question coming a mile away. I think everybody did, but. Nobody was satisfied with the answer. And I thought, well, that's actually not their job. It's mm -hmm. our job to give them the answer. Right. Right. I I was also quite surprised with Trump's tone. Going back to the debate, I was really surprised that he did not uh, stick with the let me try to be presidential thing. I, I believe she got under his skin, and it was fairly early in the debate where 
Uh, she said, you got a loan from your father. You're basically a daddy's boy, and that's why you're rich. And he took that personally. Yeah. And he just never really recovered from that. He was rattled, annoyed, how dare you wish, and just never really recovered from that at all. She went for the jugular because that's where his manhood is, is in his money and his business. And she basically said, it's not yours. And I... I was just really stunned with the tone. I, I would do anything to be a fly. I'm Julianne Conway's <laughs> wall right now. Um, I I was really shocked with how poorly he communicated his points. Um, the sniffling and all of that, you know, I mean, that could have all been solved had he mm-hmm. been in front of a microphone for five days. All of these, the, the faces that he made and getting rattled by Mark Cuban. I mean, he just really... I don't think we'll see that in the second debate. I think he'll do a much better job. And I think Hillary will be at a disadvantage because it's a town hall meeting where you can't anticipate what people are going to ask for the most part um, as as much. I mean, I think they have a general idea. But uh, I, I was really stunned with how, in my opinion, how badly he did because it was not just that she was good. I didn't think she wouldn't be. But that when there were openings, he missed and whiffed about 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely. It's correctable. It's correctable. I mean, everything, a lot can happen in 41 days. And I would caution the Clinton campaign. I mean, I saw her yesterday, and I saw them that look, looking like the cats that ate the canary. And when she has had challenges, it's usually because of hubris. Yes. And, I mean, starting all the way back in 2008, underestimating Obama, underestimating Bernie, underestimating that the FBI would prosecute on the emails. There might not even be anything in the emails, who knows? But, you you know, just breaking up Blackberries and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's really those emails and the, and the Blackberries that, that convey those emails are public property of the American people. This is all hubris and to walk in and say, yep, we basically got this sewn up, which is what I was saying, seeing her campaign surrogates do yesterday. The inevitability argument rarely works. It works even less with a woman. They, mm-hmm. The idea that you've got to earn the vote is something that they, some, they, they tend to miss. And I hope that for their sake that they don't continue to make that mistake because they're in for a real surprise. They're in for a surprise anyway because a lot of Donald Trump voters are new voters. These are newly registered voters, so they don't even have their hands around who might show up. Right. So they've got to be really, really careful. And I didn't see a lot of carefulness yesterday. And that, if I was uh, working on the campaign, that would concern me. Yeah, hubris has definitely been her, her downfall time and time again. Um, yeah, so that's that's generally my my take on the debate. I think it was a win for Clinton. I think Donald Trump um, passed the the test of standing up, I guess. But beyond that, I don't think he did. I mean, standing up for ninety straight minutes. But mm-hmm. beyond that, I don't really think that he did an outstanding job. He, he I think it was rude and boorish, and um, it didn't seem particularly presidential. And if he doesn't change course quickly then this will slip out of his fingers. And conversely for her, um, not to get wrapped up in hubris and to really prepare um, and try to connect with people is not her strong point. We all have weaknesses, mm-hmm. communications-wise and, every, and in every way. But um, 
you've got to figure out a way to connect with people and not in a canned sort of way. People can tell when you care. Right. Um, they're watching you. The camera's right on you. The hot lights are on you. It's really little shifts of eyes and little turns up at the corner of your mouth. These these things are the difference between a fake smile and a real smile. And we're able as human beings to intuit that. And that's something that she's generally struggled with, over um, emoting and, uh, and over playing emotions. And that's why she comes off as inauthentic. And if she does that on October 9th, it's going to be a running joke. So, you know, I think she's got a slight lead in terms of how her how she's being perceived in the American uh, consciousness, but it's not insurmountable. So I think they both have to be careful. But I, I don't see Trump doing as badly as he did the first time. So that's my prediction. Excellent. You rock. Thank you so much for that awesome insight and conversation this morning. Um, it's, it's probably the most conscientious and, uh, balanced conversation I've, 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 well, it, it, I'm participating in it, but listening to you talk, um, you know, compared to the, the way the news cycle has been the past two, 24 hours, two days, 48 hours. Yeah. Um, like it, it's, it's the analysis that you provided is just so superb. So thank you so much um, for joining. Thank me you for the today. opportunity. I All right, we'll reconvene um, um, October 10th. After we will second. definitely reconvene <laughs> after the next one. Um, also, I know you mentioned that you had been writing a little bit more for Huffington Post. Please send me the links to your articles so I can include them in the description for this post because um, I definitely want people to see you know more of your work and stuff because you, you really, your analysis is definitely on point and what more people need to consider um, as we, we head to the voting booth. Thank you. Um, people can go to our website at www.spannerstrategies, S-P-A-N-N-E-R strategies, with an S, mm-hmm. .com, and click on the media section, and there's lots of um, articles that I've written there, mainly for Huffington Post, on various aspects of the 2016 presidential race, um, in addition to um, articles about uh, South African politics and international development in general, because those are the areas that we work mm-hmm. with. So. Um, all the articles are there. Everyone is, is free to, to read them. Um, and uh, there'll be another one coming out shortly having to do with black Trump supporters. So I urge everybody oh, to check nice. the website we for that. Should, we will definitely need to follow up about that one. Um, and I'll, yes. I, what I'll do is, yes, yeah, so what I'll do is I'll just put a link to the website, to the media, to the media page in, 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 in the in the body of the post for, for, for this podcast so that people will have it and can just click on it and go right to you. Um, and I'll definitely share that stuff around. That sounds really fascinating. So thank you again. Um, again, thank this you. has been The Way with Fanoa. I've been with Dr. Trisha Callender this morning of Spanner Strategies, um, political consultant, just just great political analyst and, and thinker overall. Appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll talk. Well, that has been another edition of The Way with Fanoa. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Um, check out the website, thewayofanoa.com. Please like, subscribe, share. And, you know, if if you believe, as I believe, in furthering, you know, good conversations about meaningful issues and topics, chopping it up and having a little bit of fun sometime, definitely go by my Patreon page and, and, and contribute what you can. I mean, we're building this together, so I appreciate you. All right. Goodbye. Again. Okay.